This is It Just Takes One. One person, one experience, one idea, one moment to change your life. Here's what's coming up on today's show. I would say that's what It Just Takes One means to me. It just takes one little spark of inspiration. And if you can capitalize that, if you can build on that, if you can stoke the embers, a fire will start. And that is precisely what happened to me. I'm curious, how many of you have a dream to write a book? I have to believe that if you've been listening to our podcast for a while or watching it, that you have some interest in writing. Well, our guest today, Liam Cuddy, also had a dream to write a book. And this week, that book was finally published. We're going to talk about his best-selling new book called The Getaway People in today's episode. Liam grew up in a small town in upstate New York, Auburn, New York. And he said as he was growing up, he spent his days hiking and biking and sitting on the shores of Owasco Lake dreaming up ideas for stories. Well, when he got to college, he finally started writing down the story that became the novel that published and became a best-selling work this week. We're going to talk all about the challenges and the successes that come with writing and writing a novel in particular, and so much more. So I invite you to sit back and listen in as Liam Cuddy shares his story. Liam, hello. It is so great to have you on the show. Welcome to It Just Takes One. Thank you for having me, Kelly. I'm happy to be here. I am really excited, actually, to start off by sharing how you and I connected, because it's going to call out a couple people that are special to both of us, and I just want to give them a shout out, but also it was a very unique connection that happened. You want to share how we got together? Absolutely. So. Um... This book had been something that I had had uh, for a while. I had had it written for a while and I had always talked about wanting to get it published in some way or another. And my girlfriend, uh, Rachel, she had just moved to Boston uh, for grad school. And she had mentioned that her roommate, Caitlin, uh, her stepmom has this business and that it's a self-publishing business and that, um, that you know, it's, I, I might want to check it out. And so I did, and it definitely interested me. And so I got in contact with you, and here we are. So amazing, because Caitlin, who is my stepdaughter, and Rachel did not know each other before they actually both attended grad school and are rooming together and became great friends. But their connection was brand new. And then this conversation sort of just came up, and Caitlin had a connection, obviously, with me, and and here we are. Do you remember what when that was? When when did that happen that we first connected? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can narrow it down to a certain month, but it was. I really don't know. It was definitely at the beginning of the school year, maybe two months into the school year or so. Um, I had not told Rachel about it at the time. This was something that I wanted to surprise her with. I wasn't sure how long the process would be. Uh, but, but yeah, yeah. So it was relatively early on in the school year. And I wanted to point that out because it is now the very beginning of August 
And this week, your book was published and became a bestseller. It did. It did. It was. Yeah. And I am absolutely thrilled. It was just such an incredible process. Yeah. I'm so excited to share all of that with the listeners and the viewers today. And I want to also make the comment that um, if any of you are listening or, or looking, you're going to see that Liam is, is certainly a young man. 23. Are you 23, Liam? That's correct. 23 years old. You are not our youngest published author. Scripter has actually published authors younger than you. Uh, we did a book during COVID for a group of teenagers, and a couple of those teenagers were 13 and 14 years old. So we've actually published some younger authors, but you are certainly one of the youngest authors that we've published. And the most remarkable part of that is that you actually wrote this book while you were in college. The idea started and the beginning of that writing process started when you were in college. Can you tell us a little bit more about where this idea came from to write a book, how old you were, what you were doing, and then how did you actually find time in college to write a book? Of course. So <clears throat> this, this book I have actually had to say this quite a bit in the past few days. This book never started as a book. Um, I actually don't think a lot of books do. I think they start as passion projects that eventually evolve into books. And this is exactly what happened here. Um, I've always been a writer. I've always enjoyed writing. And I've been writing short stories, plays, movie scripts for uh, since, since freshman year of high school. And so... I got to college freshman year and I continued writing and I wrote a couple plays and I, I had this idea, I, I was messing around with the idea of cults and communes and, you know, excitement just beyond the tree line where we can't quite see it. And I decided that I wanted to write a story about that. And so it started as a short story my freshman year. And I remember actually bouncing ideas off of my freshman roommate. And he actually brought that up the other week that he remembers uh, it, it coming full circle. He thought it was pretty neat how he remembers me bouncing ideas off of him and talking about plot lines and character arcs. And then to be able to actually see the book get published and see the event happen, it was really special. Uh, but yes, so to answer your question, it was freshman year and I had started it near the end of freshman year and I had written, 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 written. I would find time whenever I would come home from going out or maybe after I finished my homework. Uh, I am not a night owl, but when I was writing this, I had no problem staying up till three, four in the morning, just because I just enjoyed it so much. Um, you know, not to hit that old cliche, but you know, when you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. <laughs> that, was, that was what I was doing. Um, I didn't know that I was writing a book at the time, but I knew that I was writing a story and that I was gonna try and send it out to, whether it was family or friends or uh, a literary journal, something like that. That's what I wanted to do. And the story just kept evolving and I kept having new ideas and new characters and I knew where those characters would cross paths and I knew how that would shift the general outlook of the community in the book. And so before I knew it, it was junior year and I had finished this, this incredibly long manuscript compared to what I had first intended to write. And, and I just, I sat on it for a little while. I edited it. I went back, I changed a couple aspects 
And I eventually wanted to do something with it. And lo and behold, Rachel, uh, she met up with Caitlin and told me about this excellent opportunity. And here we are. Here you are. You have the book in front of you. Can you go ahead and hold it up and share it with us? The getaway people, here we are. A nice hefty piece of literary fiction. Beautiful, 620 pages long, a beautiful cover, an intriguing title, and so much contained between those two covers. We're going to dive into some of that today, but I'm so glad that you have it. I, my copy is on order. I haven't actually received my hardcover copy yet, so I've, I've got it on order and was hoping it would be here for today, but I, I only have it on my computer for today, uh, so we'll share some of it but I wanted you to show it because this was not a, a trivial undertaking. This was a significant, you know, you sort of described four years of putting it together and, you know, not realizing this is what was happening, but it finally emerged to be this significant piece of work. And um, I'm, I'm excited to share it with the, with the audience today, but Liam, the title is the getaway people. And we're going to talk a little bit about why that title. Before we get into that, can I share the video that you just put up on Facebook? Absolutely. I would love it if you could share that. So this is a video and it's about 20 seconds long um, that, Ian, uh, that Liam put together with his friend. And I'm going to share it on my screen here, getting real high tech for those of you on, on YouTube that are watching this. And for the listeners, what you're seeing is actually a video of sort of a trailer for the book. And I'll show it and then we can share where they can find it. Here it is, ready? I love that. I love that. You showed it to me just before we got onto the call. So I wanted to make sure we had a chance to share that. Let's just start with that. The getaway people and, and there's this, this river and there's a body coming down the river. Tell us about the making of the video and we'll use that to lead into how that actually begins the book. Of course. So the video was meant to be something that couldn't quite be explained at a glance, but was intriguing. And uh, so the first chapter of my book actually has um, a, a body floating down a river. And so I thought, how appropriate would that be to actually film that and put that out there and get people wondering and get people curious. And so I talked over with my friend, Mark Fiaco, who uh, he is uh, a cinematographer, a videographer. He's, him and I have made short films before. Uh, he has worked out of New York City and he is currently here in Auburn with us right now. So I, I, I approached him and I asked him if he'd be interested in making this video. And he was more than interested. And it just so happened that he had gotten a drone. And so he, him and I, we planned a day to go out scouting and look for locations look for uh, a body of water or a river, or a creek, stream, 
that was strong enough to carry my body. And well, yeah, it wasn't supposed to be my body, but we couldn't quite find an actor or actress that was willing to do that, um, you know, just to do that. So, you know, I just had to step in and do it myself, but that's fine. I really enjoyed it. We found a, uh, a river right after a storm uh, that was particularly strong and uh, we gauged it and we thought that, you know, it might not be the safest thing, but safe enough. And we had lifeguards on scene. And so I got in there and let the river take me. And after three or four tries, he's like, I think we got it. <laughs> and with a little bit of editing and movie magic, we have what you just showed us there. And I was just thrilled. And the feedback to that video, once we put it up on social media, was exactly what I was hoping for. People were curious, they had questions. And July 31st was the date of the book release, which I was really champion on social media, as was Mark, as were family and friends. So July 1st was the date of the book release, as I said. And, um, and yeah, we just wanted to get people curious, wanted to get people down there. And it worked exactly how we had planned it to. It's so intriguing. And first of all, what an artist will do for his work, <laughs> literally throwing yourself into roaring rivers and, and, and floating down um, is certainly, you know, then I'm sure you're not the first artist who has, has physically put themselves into the moment to get what they need. <laughs> but I'm sharing it today because I, it is it is an intriguing book. It, the, the themes that you cover in this book are deep and we'll, we'll get into some of those. But let's get back to the title because I, I think that sort of encapsulates a lot of what happens in the book. If you don't mind, I actually have chosen a section of the book to share where you, where you talk about the getaway people. And I'd like to read that back to you for just a moment, if, if you'll let me. This is um, about a third of the way through the book. And they're talking about how all of this has come to, to be, this community that we're going to learn about and, and how it all happened. And Luna, who is one of the main characters, says, I stopped going to school. I only went home when I had to. I traveled around with Elliot and his sizable troop. We would find work where we could and help rid the city of its sin. Some people hated us too. We would all get spit upon and we had trash thrown at us, but it was all okay because in the end we would be granted wings and they would be tethered to a rock in the bottom of a deep pit of despair. They started calling us the getaway people. It was supposed to be derogatory, a joke about how everyone was always telling us to get away. But we took it and we wore it with pride. That's right, that's right. When I first wrote this book, when I first started writing this book, before I even knew that it was a book, the title was always the same. It was always going to be The Getaway People. I thought it had a certain ring to it. Uh, I thought just much like the video that you just showed, I thought that it left people wondering. I thought that it carried with it a certain amount of intrigue. And I was really at the time and still obsessed with the idea of getting away, of escaping from day-to-day -day life and going against the grain, doing something that uh, some people might not understand, 
but something that you felt was right. Uh, something like joining up in a commune or a cult in the middle of nowhere, uh, going into the woods. Now, of course, in this context in the book, uh, there's a little bit more to that. There's a little bit more religious connotations. Um, Luna is talking about how people rejected them, but how they wore that rejection as a badge of pride. And, and I think that's, you know, there are two ways to look at the getaway people in this scenario. You can be that part of that troop, part of the, that group that people don't want near them, that people are telling to get away. Or you can flip it around and you can think of yourself as the person that got away, as the person that was able to escape from the madness, escape from the mundane features of your everyday life. And so in that way, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's, um, I don't want to say a double-edged sword, but there are two different ways to look at it. And depending on how you read the book and what you take away from it, that's how you'll see it. Yeah. And you know, that's such an interesting, I mean, it's an interesting timing that the book is coming out right now because we see a lot of that people wanting to escape. We're in the middle of a pandemic. There's a lot of political unrest. There's a lot of, you know, people are, are moving into separate groups and we're seeing a lot of that now, but this book was started years before where we are now. This was something that was actually interesting to you long before this. Can you describe what, what is it about this idea of escaping and, and getting out of the, the, the norm of life and the, and the madness, as you called it? What, why were you intrigued by that? Right. So at the time of, uh, at the time that I first started writing this, um, I was in college and don't get me wrong. I don't want this. I don't want people to take this the wrong way. I loved my college experience. It was fantastic. It might not have been your typical college experience, but it was exactly what I was looking for. And I couldn't have asked for a better one, uh, but still being 18, 19, 20, there's a lot of angst. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of expectations that fall on your shoulders. And I found myself wanting to get away. I'm, I'm a big hiker. I love getting out in the woods and I love exploring. And I would often find my mind wandering to, wow, you know, I could definitely, you know, build a nice little home for myself out here and just get away from the madness and the expectations and the anxiety. And did I ever do that? And did I ever have any actual intentions on doing that? No, no, I never had any actual intentions on doing that. But the idea was something that I romanticized. And it was something that I found myself uh, continuing to go back to and thinking about. And, and so, so yeah, that, that's where it came from. And that, uh, that feeling manifested itself into the book that I have here before me. Yeah. So you had a chance to explore it through writing rather than in real life. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's an important note because many of the writers out there are people who are writing, even if they haven't published or shared it, do write to be able to try and make sense of a world that they may not understand or things that are happening that are difficult to understand. And so I, I think that writing becomes a great tool for that. Yeah. Your book tackles this one, one of many deep themes of getting away, of, of finding a group of like-minded people and removing yourself from what we would call normal culture or the, you know, the mainstream. And there's there is an element of cult in this. Oh yeah. What's your interest in 
that in the cult area and the cult uh, theme? Yeah, so, so aside from the idea of community, from what I just talked about when it comes to getting away and finding like-minded individuals who you can, you know, share this special place with, cults itself, they're spooky. They're spooky, they're interesting, they bring with themselves their own sets of rules, of politics, of ways of life. And that's something that I wanted to explore. Um, cults often come with a little bit of action, a little bit of romance, a little bit of adventure, a little bit of, like I said, going against the grain, doing something that many people might not typically find themselves doing. And I was just really interested in that. And I thought that what came with that was this endless set of possibilities an endless set of ways that the story could go. Um, oftentimes we hear about cults and it's in a negative context. And in a lot of ways, nothing has changed. There's still, a, yeah, there's, there's a lot of negative content surrounding this cult in, in the book. Um, but the book is focused on a stranger, an outsider entering the cult under circumstances that he could not control. And he's held captive by his own injuries and he's not able to leave. And under the set of rules that comes with this cult and their idealisms, he was, um, he was asked, or at least Luna, the main character was asked to heal this man physically, mentally, and spiritually, uh, whether he wanted to be healed or not. Um, so, so yeah, the idea of bringing the cult in, I think that added a certain level of uncertainty, it added a certain layer of tension, it added this, um, this danger to it all. And mm -hmm. I think that definitely made the book far more exciting, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think people are sort of intrigued by the whole idea of the cult. You're right, it's spooky. It's hard to understand. And yet there's an intrigue about human behavior and human psychology that's kind of wrapped up and then all these other components of life that come up from it. You're describing Ray uh, as you're talking about the character that came from outside and, and found himself there against, not without his knowing, <laughs> without his awareness that that was where he was going. Um, but you actually pulled the theme of getting away along to Ray. And it ties back to the video I showed at the beginning when at the, as the book begins, Ray has chosen suicide as his way of getting away from a life that he no longer felt he could live. Correct. Why did you choose that as the beginning of the book? Well, I thought that that was very gripping. Um, suicide, I often feel, is something that comes later on in the book when you know the characters, when you know their motives, when you know um, you know what, and you know, not even just suicide, let's just say death in general. I think any sort of, um, yeah, death comes later on in the book when, like I said, you are familiar with what is happening. And so I thought that to start the book with suicide is gripping, it catches people's attention. You don't know why Ray is interested in suicide, you don't know why he wants to do the thing that he's doing, uh, but that's something that you explore later on throughout the book. And so really that was a way of not only hooking a tentative reader, but that was a way of hooking the writer. It was the way of hooking myself. I said, I didn't know where I was going with it. Um, I didn't know why he was doing this, but I just thought, you know, this is going to keep me on my toes. 
this is going to be something that I can explore later on. And I don't have to give an answer right off the bat. And so it was, yeah, like I said, it was a tool for, it was a tool for the writer. It was a tool for me. I really, that was a springboard that I was able to use to just dive right into a whole bunch of different plot lines that eventually culminated into, into one solid story. I'm glad you just brought that up. I was hoping we would get talking at some point in this discussion about the writing process itself, because when you hold up that book and, and people are seeing and, and, and hearing that this is a 620 page novel, it's fiction, there are multiple characters, there are multiple themes and plots running through the whole thing. I'm sure there are the questions about how in the world do you go about writing such a project as this? You mentioned that you didn't know where that that beginning scene was going to take that character. So are you saying that in your writing process, you let the characters just unfold? You didn't actually have a, a clear vision of, you know, the ends where everything's going to end up. Um, talk, talk a little bit more about that, because I think that's an interesting process that you go that you went through. Yeah. So no, I did not have a set goal for where I wanted the characters to end up. I did when, once the story had gotten going a little bit, once I had established the first couple of chapters, I didn't know there were chapters at that point, but once I had established the first couple of um, characters, once I had said, okay, here's Ray, here's Luna, this is the setting, this is the scenario that they find themselves in, I definitely had a clear picture in my mind of what I wanted the ending to look like. And so for me, and I know that not a lot of writers, well, I, I can't say that. I don't know. I don't know a ton of writers, but <clears throat> for me, I started with the end in mind. I had that one final scene, that one climactic, uh, that one climactic scene that I wanted to work towards. And then I thought, okay, I have this. How am I going to get the characters to this point? And that really got the gears turning. And that really got me thinking about, okay, well, I need to introduce someone else. I need to introduce an antagonist. I need to introduce someone who completely has this arc from good to bad. I need to introduce someone who has an arc from bad to good. And that was really easy to do when you're talking about a cult, when you're talking about a commune or a community living in the deep woods of Colorado. So that was another reason as to why I wanted to kind of stay in this setting of, okay, he is trying to be healed while living amongst these people who he has nothing, he has no clue who they are, why they're there, etc. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. And you bring up another theme of the book, which I think is important to note, the idea and the concept of good versus evil that these characters might start off quote unquote good and then become evil or vice versa. You know, and I'm, and I'm using those terms in quotes because I think one of the things that you did very well in the writing is to realize that that line is not nearly so cut and dry, that nobody is really all good or all evil. And Talk a little bit more about that in your perception of the idea of good versus evil. Right. So one thing that I really wanted to keep in mind throughout the making of this story 
was that there is no such thing as starkly good or starkly evil, right? There's, there's good people that do bad things. There's bad people that do good things. And that to me acts as the seasoning of a story. I think you can have, you can have your main course and if it's all good, then okay, cool. You're gonna know what you're getting, but I think that's very one dimensional. And I wanted to make these characters as three dimensional as I could. I wanted to make them human. And humans do, you know, good people do bad things, bad people do good things. And I wanted to reflect that in this book. Um, just being on a cult, of course, these, these good people doing bad things, bad people doing good things. I bring that to an extreme level, but I tried to make it grounded. I tried to make it, I tried to make the characters as human as possible. Um, and, and I think that uh, that was definitely a good call because I think that adds a lot of layers. I think that adds a little bit of complexity and I think that made for an all around better story. Yeah, I agree. And it keeps the reader wondering, you know, what's coming next? What are they doing next? And you're turning the pages wanting to know. You know, it's fascinating because we've published a lot of books at Scripter. We have published some novels, but not a lot of novels to date. Many of the people that we work with write their own story, or they might be writing a platform book because they have a business and they want to share more of their philosophy or their ideas uh, with a larger audience and those types of things. Novels are a unique writing experience. And you're, you've described a little bit of it, but I'd like to peel it apart a little bit more because you've described the different arcs of the story, the different plot lines. You've described generally a climax that there's a, you know, sort of a build to something. And then you're describing now that these characters have to become three-dimensional, that they're not just this flat name on a page. There's a lot to them. There are some of the unique challenges that you came across in the process of trying to build a novel, um, in it, which I think are gonna be different types of challenges than somebody who's trying to share their memoir, for example. Right. So challenges, there, there are a lot of challenges that come with writing a novel. And I feel that there are even more challenges that come with writing a novel while in college when there are distractions around every corner. Um, I won't lie. There were times where I chose to, instead of going out to a bar or to a party with my friends, I much rather would have stayed in and written. And that happened. That definitely happened. Just because I... And someone who values control and as a writer, that's, you really, you get to play God. You have absolute control. And I really enjoyed that. Now, some people that just doesn't work for them. Some people don't like writing and they just, and that's fine. And they're very talented in many other aspects of life. This is just something that I really enjoy. And so, so yeah, it was difficult, but I found that it was also very relaxing. Um, I don't want to say therapeutic or th cathartic, uh, but but it was just nice to be able to have something where you could sit down at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, during a lunch break, wherever you are, and be transported into this world that you have created. And yeah, so to sit down and to just all of a sudden be around these characters that I felt were formed and had depth and were three-dimensional 
and I could decide their fate and I could decide uh, their arc and I could decide where their life was going to be going. That was, that was really, really something else. And I think that reflected my desire to want to control that narrative in my life, which you can do a certain extent, but especially in college, you're going to be pulled, you know, every which way. I didn't know what I wanted to do for a career. I still don't know what I want to do for a career, but the ability to sit down and write and to enjoy that and then to also have that control and deem who's going where, who's going to do what, that was, okay, so, you know, I guess I can use therapeutic. I guess I can use cathartic. That was, it was therapeutic for me. I, I really took a lot from that and I got a lot from that. Well, in some ways you're describing your own process of getting away. Of course, of course. Right? Yes, that is a- It became your getaway. Of course, that, that, that's a great point, Kelly, you're right. Yeah, I love that. Um, one of the things you and I worked on as we were crafting the, the content of the book and really getting it to be the final product that it is now was the discussions about the conversations and the dialogue in a novel, especially dialogue. Dialogue is always challenging. It's always challenging to write a conversation that sounds normal. <laughs> it doesn't sound stilted with he said, she said, you know, in it. Uh, but it's also challenging and difficult because each character has their own voice. And you have a multitude of characters in this book. How were you able to distinguish the voices of each of the characters? And what did you learn in that process of crafting dialogue? Wow, that's a really great question. I, well, let me start by saying that I've had this book was released three days ago, I believe, three days ago. And <laughs> I've had five people finish the book so far. Uh, they were avid readers, clearly uh, either really invested in the story or really um, dead set on telling me their thoughts. And one thing that they've said across the board was that it, it is dialogue heavy. This book is dialogue heavy. And they said that in some sections, it reads almost like a script. And though that's not by design, I can completely see where that comes from because I like to experiment with a bunch of different forms of writing. Um, and I think I mentioned earlier, I've written movie scripts, I've written musicals and plays, and I, I really just, you know, I like to experiment. And so I'm sure a lot of that bled through into this writing because I feel that, yes, story comes from the setting and the circumstances. But I think that the, I feel that the circumstances are very, hmm, I'm trying to think of how to say this. I feel that the dialogue is really what carries, it, it, that's the, it's the glue that holds the circumstances together. It's the glue that holds the plot together. And there's a lot going on in this story. And so I needed quite a bit of glue. So I, uh, I made sure that it was, I didn't make that sure. I didn't realize I was doing this at the time, but yes, it is dialogue heavy. And the characters, when I write, I don't think he said, she said, I have a conversation in my mind and I try to separate, say, Ray or Luna or Tobias and Brooke or Elliot and Felix. And I think, what would this conversation sound like? And it's almost like I can separate the left side and right side of my brain and I can have that dialogue within my head. And then as they speak with one another, I just kind of toss it out onto the paper and hope for the best. And 
so far so good. The, the, the feedback that I've gotten so far has been very positive. And, and yeah, so, so that's my process of doing that. Yeah, it, it is. It's a really challenging piece. If, if any of you listeners or viewers are out there thinking about writing a novel, uh, what, what Liam just described is so true. It, the dialogue does, it carries the, the plots forward, but it also holds the plots together. And so it, it needs to be crafted in a way that the reader can digest it and, and follow what's happening. Uh, it sounds simple, really not simple when you do it. It's hard, hard work. So I commend you on that. I really am happy to hear that you're getting people reading it and, and getting good feedback already since it's literally come out this week. But you did actually have an opportunity to do a book signing in your hometown this past weekend. Share a little bit about that experience. What was that like for you? So this was easily one of the best experiences of my life thus far. Um, I had rented out a theater, Auburn Public Theater, and we had decided that, hey, this would be, a, it would be cool to have a book launch. We were, at the time, at the time that we booked it, we were coming to the tail end of COVID. People were looking to get out and go support local artists again. And Auburn Public Theater was opening back up and, yeah, it just, it really came together well. I had such an incredible turnout. I did not expect to have, I expected a good turnout. I was hoping for a good turnout. Um, my expectations weren't high, but whatever they were, the actual turnout blew them out of the water. Um, the community, the Auburn community and my, my friends, my family, they really, they're the best because they all came out. I had people come from Virginia, I had people come from Buffalo, Syracuse, Rochester, and it was so nice to see them show their support. Uh, it was a great event. Pretty much how it was structured was people came in, if they wanted to buy a book, they could buy a book. Uh, we had 80 copies there for them, to, um, for them to purchase, and we completely sold out. We ended up selling uh, 130 books in total, and we're looking, and that's not including website orders. It's also available on Amazon and liamcuddy.com. Um, but, but yes, so people would come in, they could purchase their book, they would walk down the line, and I was at the end of the table, and they could have it inscribed, I would sign it, I would, you know, whatever they like. And then I went up and I read a couple chapters. And then I opened the floor to questions. And the questions were great. The questions really, you know, they were personal. Uh, you could tell that these people really knew me. And like I said, like they came out to support. So there weren't, I was maybe worried that there'd be some sort of uh, like, ha, gotcha question. But there was, there was none of that. It was all just, it was, it was just a lovely experience. It really was. Um, and then afterwards we cleaned up and we went out and it was just, you couldn't ask for any, you couldn't ask for anything better. It was great. Well, congratulations on that. I think especially that it was your first time to put it out in public and to, you know, the vulnerability that comes with putting your book out there to be received so warmly and so above and beyond what you could have expected is just a great testament to you and to your community and to the people who support you. So congratulations on that. But I also know that that is the first of many such events and other ways for you to get your book out into the world. What's next? What do you foresee happening with this book going forward? 
So, so yes, thank you very much, first of all. Um, and yes, we actually do have another reading slash signing lined up uh, August 15th. I'm very excited about that. Um, and then, so I am actually moving. I'm going to Delaware for grad school uh, in two weeks. And, you know, it, it's, it's nerve wracking, but also I see that as a brand new frontier to further market this book. This book is brand new. I'm not going to be talking about this book. Oh yeah, this book I wrote a while ago. I have the opportunity to say, hey, this is a book that I just wrote. I just got this published. And if you are interested in reading it, you are more than welcome. I encourage you to do so. And so I'm going to be reaching out to local bookstores. I'm going to be reaching out to campus officials to see if we can maybe work something out. Um, the beautiful thing about this is when it comes to campus life, when it comes to college life, uh, it works as PR for both myself and the school. They, they love to champion that one of their students has done something like this. So it's, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, this is just the beginning. Yeah, just the beginning. And you are heading off to get your master's degree. Liam, what, is, what are you going to be studying? So I'm going to be studying communications. Uh, that was also what I studied in undergrad. Ideally, I would love to get my PhD. I'd love to teach. I'd love to be a professor. Um, that to me is, you know, it's, you couldn't ask for a better career. Uh, but I'm also interested in getting some real world experience. I'm interested in healthcare communications. All of my internships thus far and any of the jobs that I've held in the field have been in healthcare communications, uh, working in hospitals, working as a contact tracer, a case investigator, et cetera. Um, so, so yeah, that is definitely where I'm headed at this point. But uh, you can bet on the fact that wherever I go, I'm still going to be writing on the side, whether it is a side hustle or whether it, it does turn into something more than that. It's always going to be there with me. Yeah, once once you've started and it and when you when it becomes such a tool for you, it yeah. is something that becomes a lifelong gift that you can continue to write and share what you write. You know, Liam, it is a book that covers a lot of depth. It it goes into a lot of the themes we've discussed, some that we didn't even talk about, like it the fact that it's overarching a love story. We didn't even touch on that. So the readers are the people listening are gonna have to read it and find out more. But at the end of the day, when somebody picks this book up, what is it that you want them to get when they when they close the final page and the cover on the back? What do you want them to take away from this book? That is a really good question. I think there is a lot of things that people could take away from this book. Um, I comment a lot on misogyny. I comment a lot on religion. I comment a lot on the need to belong. Um, but really, if I had to water it all down, I would say that I set out with one main goal in mind, and that was just to create something where when it's over, I can look at it and think, I did a good job. And if people can read this and close the back cover, as you say, and think, wow, okay, that was a good story, they don't need to think too much into it. They can if they'd like to. But if they can read it and just think, hey, this was a good book, just like I personally felt it is, still feel it is, then I'd say I definitely succeeded in that respect. Love that. Love that. 
Liam, we could talk for a long time about more and more about the writing process or about the book itself and the story, but I do want to encourage the listeners and the viewers to go out and buy the book. As you mentioned, it's available on Amazon. And did you also say at liamcuddy.com? Correct, liamcuddy.com. So I'll make sure that those that information and links get into the show notes. But before we finish today, I always like to ask our guests about the title of the podcast, which I always find intriguing and the answers are always different and unique. So I'd like to ask you, Liam, what does the phrase, it just takes one, mean to you? Yes. So it just takes one. I think that we can actually go back to um, the making of this book, right? Um, I eventually at some point in my life wanted to write a book that has always been a goal of mine but like I said that is not what I started that's not how this started out this started out as a short story but I remember hiking one day and listening to this song um it was some alternative song by the strokes I believe and all of a sudden this idea just came to me and it was just the beginning it was just this faint like whiff of what could be something far greater, something that this actually turned into. But it was just the beginning of the story. And it was just this small spark of inspiration that I had. And I don't know where it came from. I think that it was a lot of different factors. I think it was a combination of the hiking, of the being outdoors, of the solitude, of the music, of just the beautiful day in general that culminated in me having this idea of me thinking about you know, being off the grid in a secret community hidden amongst the woods and the politics and the triumphs and the pitfalls. And I would say that's what it just takes one means to me. It just takes one little spark of inspiration. And if you can capitalize that, if you can build on that, if you can stoke the embers, a fire will start. And that is precisely what happened to me. And so, yeah, I'd say that's what it just takes one means to me is it just takes one little spark of inspiration for great things to happen. Fabulous. Well, I hope that this book is the spark of inspiration for someone out there who has always wanted to write their own book or that has a little idea growing and maybe this conversation has sparked their imagination or sparked their interest enough to to pour a little more energy into it because the end result, as you can see from Liam, is pretty pretty phenomenal. Well, thank you very much, Kelly. I too hope that that can be the case. Excellent. Liam, it has been an absolute pleasure working with you. Thank you to Rachel and Caitlin for bringing us together and for getting giving us the opportunity to get this book published for you. Thank you. And you know that we wish you all the best as you go forward and look forward to hearing where this book takes you. Thank you so much, Kelly. Same to you. What an interesting conversation with an extraordinary young man. It is hard to listen to that interview and not be a little bit in awe of what he accomplished. Writing a book of that magnitude is an incredible accomplishment. 620 pages, multiple characters, themes, plot lines, and it was some deep content. Liam handled it extraordinarily well, and I thought it was interesting to hear him talk about how he met those challenges, and also to hear him share some of the success that he's already felt 
in the few days since he published the book. I hope you will go out and purchase the book and that you'll continue to follow Liam. I guarantee that although this is his first, I don't think it will be his last. And it's going to be fun to see where he goes next. That will wrap it up for me today. Thank you for joining us on It Just Takes One. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, I invite you to do that. When you subscribe, you'll be notified when new episodes drop each week. That's it for today. And we'll see you next week on It Just Takes One.